Good morning. Good morning. Lots going on. Uh, remember these things. Be reminded of them by going to the website and checking them out. Uh, it's really excellent to hear some of the things like uh, Pastor Barry, the uh, mission trip uh, re- uh, report to us. You, you know, those folks that go on the mission trip, they fund their trips. They they go into their own pockets to fund the trip and, and go to minister in another country. We have many ministries here, and you know they're funded because you are just, you're so faithful and you're so generous, and those ministries, they touch so many lives, be it grief share, divorce care, uh, the overcomers outreach, all of the things that happen during the week, the lights are on, it's warm when it's cold outside, it's cool when it's hot outside, thank you. That's because of everything you do, and so many lives get touched, and you can see too, if you pulled in today and you hadn't been here during the week, you may have noticed that the parking lots looked a little bit better, and we're doing our best to keep those up, again, because of you, and all that you're, you're doing to support not only the ministries, uh, but the infrastructure here. So God bless you and thank you. And next week, if you're coming during the week for Tuesday prayer meeting, uh, or you're gonna come to walk on Wednesday, you won't have to drive around pylons or drive over them or whatever. It's uh, taken care of. Later on in the year, we're going to be hitting some roofs, major, major roof work. And thank you for the just blessing God's house. It is really, really uh, a relief for so many of us who have to just see some of, the, see some of the, the bills and such. So God bless you. Thank you for that. Uh, when Pastor Barry was up here giving his report, he said, Pastors uh, Juan and Jenny were aggressive. We might be touching uh, on some things about getting aggressive today. Aggressive, taking some drastic action. Uh, I, I, I think we'll, we're going to be uh, we're going to be getting to that. I uh, and I've, I've, I I kind of get there because I was thinking aggressive sometimes means you got to take drastic action. Maybe there's an emergency, and whenever somebody calls the office, they have an opportunity. To, to let us know if there's an emergency, I'll say, especially after hours. So the other day, just a couple days ago, I, got, I get a notification. I get notification. My phone lights up every time somebody wants to let us know there's an emergency. I'll get a notification. So if you call the office, especially outside of office hours, when we're not here, if it's late at night, and you have an emergency, there's an option for you. You press number nine. And you can leave a message, make your emergency known, and immediately I will get a notification. So I've been awoken from a sound sleep because there's someone calling with an emergency. Then I can go listen to the message and respond 
or uh, get another minister involved. We want to know if there is a serious medical issue. If somebody close to you, a loved one, has passed away, if you need the church, that's why that's there. So it's not a week that goes by where that emergency option remains idle. It gets hit one, two, three, four times a week. Every week, someone's pushing nine. But many times... The word emergency, oh, they need to take some drastic action. Well, that might be a little debatable. Some of the recent, I'll just share with you, some of the recent emergency calls. I'm not making this up. Could you please tell me what time your services are? I don't know. Maybe that's an emergency at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm not sure. Uh, another one that recently came in. I have a question about a passage in the Bible. Well, that might have, that might have been able to wait until the office was open. Uh, and then uh, the other day, this was, this was the one just a couple days ago. I get pinged on the phone. It's after hours. I better listen to this message. And it's someone pitching a trip. You can take this fantastic, fabulous trip. They know my name. Hey, you and Pastor Julie could go. It was uh, to, to Italy. You go to the north of Italy, see the lakes, Lake Maggiano, etc., Maggiore, whatever it is, and uh, it's beautiful. You'll see the mountains, and uh, you will see just these fabulous sights. It's going to be such an exciting trip. And by the way, it's a deal of a lifetime. Airfare is included. It's, it's just so beautiful and wonderful, such a deal. And I guess that needed to come through on the emergency line. I don't know if it was a crisis. It wasn't a crisis for me. It's not a crisis that I got to get to Italy. Uh, not really an emergency. But I began to think about this. I began to think about this. Life. Life and us staying in one place or moving on. Life typically isn't static. Life isn't often just staying in one place. And in fact, life for all of us is that we are going somewhere. We're going somewhere, and we don't know where we're going, or if we're unaware that we're actually going somewhere, and we don't even really know where we're going. That's a crisis. That is an emergency. Because life is, life is a voyage, it's a trip, and we are on a course, whether we know it or not, we're on a course to somewhere. There is a terminus, there is a destination for us. And the biblical indication is that we are on a course to one of two destinations. That end point it's binary. We've been talking about binary things in the Bible. And this is another one of these binaries that God puts before us in his word. God's word uses many terms and descriptions of this terminal point, two familiar terms, heaven and hell. Heaven and hell. 
which are real places. And there is no spectrum. There is no in-between. It's one of these two is where our life is taking us. It's where life ends and yet continues. It, existence continues. Existence continues at one of these endpoints, heaven or hell. Now, whatever we think or believe these places to be, and people have all kinds of things. You can ask somebody what heaven's going to be. It's a golf course. It's the, people have all kinds of ideas. What's hell going to be? Well, I want to go there because it's going to be partying. And you got it. You're messed up. You got the wrong idea. We're all, on a co- we're all on a course to one of those places, regardless of what we think they're going to be. And the, bi- the, the biblical indication, though, the biblical indication is that when we're born into this world, we take on a course. Our course is, is set to one of those ends, one of those destinations, and it's the destination called hell. Now, no one likes to hear that. Nobody likes to hear it. Nobody likes to talk about that. It's difficult to grasp and understand. It sounds terrible. And many would rather the opposite. Many preach and believe the opposite. Many say we're born intrinsically good. We are on uh, the way to the good place. We're destined for heaven, which, again, no matter how you think of these two places, hell's not the place to go. Heaven is the place to go. It's the preferred place. And many say that when you come into this life, that's the end. But God's word tells us this, and that's where we ought to go to really determine if what we're saying is true and right. God's word tells us this, and I give you two references, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, and there are so many more. But in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 Said, said this in verse 6, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And in the New Testament, the apostle Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, wrote this, chapter 5, verse 12, therefore, and he, he put therefore, he was writing about the need for Christ. He was writing about the need for salvation. He was writing about the idea that there is sin. And he wrote, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So sin is in the world, all have sinned, and sin plots the course to hell. God's word says all have sinned, all go astray. Now, just a very quick side note here, very quick uh, sidebar uh, about children, little kids, uh, maybe people who do not have the capacity to uh, understand. When does an infant or a child have that capacity to go astray? It's not the main point I have today, and we could talk about that for a long time, but it's just worth a brief mention. You know, although the Bible doesn't really have an explicit answer about when a person has this 
time to understand. It does have passages like Romans chapter 1. Paul's letter to the church in Rome, chapter 1, it indicates uh, when it comes to sin, no one has an excuse. There's no excuse. And he wrote, because the things of God are clearly seen and understood. So Romans 1, it implies there's a, there is a time when people come to the capacity for understanding. And in the Old Testament, again, the, the prophet Isaiah, he wrote in Isaiah chapter 7, it's verse 16, he wrote of a time when a child w- could reject the wrong and choose the right. So there's a, there's a progression and growth where that time comes. In other words, God extends mercy to children, to those that don't have the capacity to understand. But my message today is for those who do. Those who do have the capacity. You've gotten to this point, and you can comprehend rejecting the wrong and choosing the right, which was the line from Isaiah 7. And God's word is, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. All have sinned, and that sets the course to hell. It's one of two ends, heaven or hell. And let's talk a little bit about hell first. I don't think we talk about it very much. Uh, Some say there is no hell. Hell's not a place. It doesn't exist. Some believe that hell is kind of a concept. It's an experience here on earth. Life here on earth is hell. And why do people say that? They say, well, because life here, it hurts. Life here brings pain. We suffer. And those are experiences no one avoids. If I ask here in this room, raise your hand if you never felt pain, no one's going to raise their hand. We all experience pain. We all have some level of suffering, some more than others, but all feel pain. And all experience then, according to this idea, all experience this kind of hell on earth. So uh, there is no real place called hell. It's not really an internal destination. Others can't even fathom a God who would conceive such a thing that, thing that we call hell. And there's this concept called universalism. Universalism says God loves all. We can find many scriptures about God's love. God desires all to be in his presence. We can find scriptures that do say God desires all to come to repentance. And nothing, nothing, none of us, nobody can thwart or suppress the love of God. So all are going to be with him. His love is going to ultimately bring everyone in. There's no need for a hell. It's not really a place. Now there's another view too that hell's not a place. But it's a, kind of a final experience, uh, the experience of, of annihilation. So there's this view of annihilation that holds, because the Bible uses verses and words like, there will be, your end will be destruction, or you will be destroyed, or you'll be burned up. It describes the judgment of God toward the wicked and the unbelievers as being completely destroyed. In other words, annihilated. So these words, they don't describe a place of torment that continues, but a final experience. And that final experience is just being completely eliminated from existence 
you're just erased. Now, those who hold this view, they kind of do see things as a, a binary. You're either going to be erased or you're going to just spend life uh, eternal with God. And there's, there's another view, the whole New Age kind of humanistic view. Uh, the late Dr. Wayne Dyer, he was a native of Detroit and went to Wayne State University and he became a famous New Age guru. And he died a few years ago. Wayne Dyer wrote, I believe we came from nowhere. N-O-W-H-E-R-E. I believe we came from nowhere. We show up and we are now here. N-O-W-H-E-R-E. It's all the same. It's just a question of spacing. He writes this because nowhere, it's one word, N-O-W-H-E-R-E. Now here is N-O-W, space, H-E-R-E. It's all the same. It's all the same letters. So he says it's just a question of spacing. While we are in the now here, we all contemplate where we are going. Then Dr. Wayne tells us, we are going back to nowhere. We're going to rejoin the spirit from which we all emanated. And I don't know, he's, he, he writes this kind of, it's kind of gobbledygook about some great spirit source thing. And it, it doesn't really make any sense. We're just, we're now here, we're going nowhere. But again, let's look to what God says. Let's, let's look to what the word of God says. And especially, especially, the words of Jesus. Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus talked an awful lot about heaven and hell, and I could choose many passages, many passages, because Jesus talked about these things much, and especially uh, the terminal end that's not to be desired, what we call hell. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, Jesus gives uh, an account of two men who died. One was in a place called paradise. The other was separated from paradise by this great chasm. And he was in torment, crying out. He said, I am crying out because I'm in agony in this fire. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus spoke of a blazing furnace where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He spoke of being cast into outer darkness. That's recorded in Matthew chapter 25. In some of those accounts, Jesus used a term, uh, it, it's Gehenna. And Gehenna was a garbage dump on the south side of Jerusalem. It was a trash heap where debris was burned. And Jesus would use this as an image, an image of hell. So let's look at one of those passages, a different, different one than the one I mentioned, but another passage where Jesus speaks to these things. It's in Mark's Gospel. So if you have a Bible, get to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, Jesus speaks to these things, and we're going to read verses 43 to 48. And in this passage, Jesus was speaking to his closest inner circle, the 12, the 12 apostles. He was in a house. It was kind of like private lessons, if you will. He wasn't, with the, he wasn't before the masses. He wasn't before the crowd. Just his closest uh, disciples. Mark 9, 43 to 48. Jesus speaking. He said, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. 
It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Again, in this passage, Jesus, he's just speaking to his group of 12 privately and he presents this great contrast to them of heaven and hell. Heaven, Jesus referred to in one word, life, life. And Jesus stressed, to get to life, you need to deal with sin. You need to deal with what causes you to stumble. How did he put it? Cut it off. Cut it off. Now, Jesus was using this hyperbolic imagery. You got a sinning hand? Cut it off. You got a sinning foot? Chop it off. You have a sinning eye? Gouge it out. Deal with the sin in your life. Deal with it. Better to enter the kingdom with some scars. Better to enter eternal life with some scars of cutting off your sin. You want to go to life, which Jesus there called the kingdom of God. This is, this is heaven. Better to go there with some scars than to be thrown into hell where the worms consume and they do not die. And a fire is unquenchable. The word Jesus used that's translated to hell in this passage is Gehenna. And Gehenna was this valley. It was a, it was a valley on the southern side of Jerusalem there. And it had been a place where an idol called Molech had been set up and worshipped. Centuries before the coming of Christ, the Jews had worshipped this idol called Molech in the valley of Gehenna. And it was a detestable idol. This was the god of the Ammonites. And that idol was, was a seated image. It, it was seated with uh, the head of a bull and its arms out. And beneath the arms of Molech was a fire. And the sacrifice to Molech that was put in the fire was a child. And that's why this idol is called detestable. Sacrifice in the, in the fire of Moloch was a child. Leviticus 18, it, it speaks to this and it gives warnings. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Moloch. And that warning was repeated. It was repeated to the Israelites, yet they persisted in this awful practice. The prophet Isaiah wrote, you went to Moloch. You descended to the very realm of the dead. Now, this was the history of this valley of Gehenna. Fire, human sacrifice, the very realm of the dead. And it was put to, put to an end by good King Josiah. Josiah destroyed the shrine of Molech. And because this valley was so horrible, it was a place where, where kids had been burned 
he turned it into a, he turned it into the garbage dump. And, and they put all the refuse out there and they even put the carcasses of dead animals and, and the remains of executed criminals were put there and they just kept the fire going all the time. And the men that Jesus was teaching in this, this little group, they were aware of the history of this place. They were, they were aware of the history of this valley called Gehenna and what it had become in their day. And this was a powerful image, a powerful image of one of these destinations in life contrasted to eternal life, the kingdom of God. Jesus used the, the illustration of Gehenna, hell, to point out the, the, the extremely detrimental and eternal aspects of sin. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. All have sinned. All have inherited death. And Jesus painted an image. He painted an image of a real crisis, an emergency, one that requires desperate action, desperate measures. What's the desperate measure? Cut off your hand. Cut off your foot. Gouge out your eye. Take care of it. Take care of the sin. It's an emergency. It's a desperate situation. Deal with it. Deal with it now. So you do not end up in that place where the worm does not die and the fire never goes out. Jesus was teaching his inner circle something immensely vital. And he used this horrible, horrible but familiar place to make the contrast between just two places, the two destinations. Life, life is heaven or Gehenna, burning refuse, which is hell. So avoid it. He says, avoid Gehenna by dealing with the sin and then enter life. We've got to deal with this emergency called sin. And what happens? And it opens the way to the alternative. It opens the way to the alternative, the different destination, the kingdom of God, life. Now, Mark used the phrase kingdom of God. Luke's gospel uses kingdom of God. You read Matthew's gospel, he writes kingdom of heaven. All the gospel writers referred to this place called heaven, and they used different phrases. They might have just said kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, or just heaven. And they said things like God is our heavenly father, or store up your treasures in heaven, quoting Jesus. Whether it's called kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, or just heaven, it is a place, and it's real, and it's this place that Jesus said is the alternative to the burning heap of refuse. It's a destination afterlife that is life itself. It is life eternal. And like hell, Jesus talked about heaven quite a bit. The night before he died, again, he was with his closest friends. He told them, don't worry. He said, you believe in me, believe also in my father. Because in my father's house, there's many rooms or other versions of the the Bible says, in my Father's house, there's many mansions, you know, houses and a big, big house. Jesus said, if it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you might be also a real place, a real place, heaven. The followers of Jesus watched later, some 40 days later after he had been crucified and resurrected, they watched as he ascended to heaven. The New Testament writers referred to heaven and described it as a glorious place. 
even beyond description. The apostle Paul had a vision of heaven and he, he said, I heard things so awesome, so amazing, it's not lawful for me to even say them out loud. The apostle John in the book of Revelation, he shared a vision, a vision that he had of heaven and his description just stretches the imagination. It seems he doesn't even have the words to describe this, this immensely beautiful, fantastic place. It's a, a sea of glass. There's blazing lamps. The foundations of the walls are founded with every kind of gemstone. There's gates of pearl. There's a river of crystal extending from the very throne of God, which is adorned with every type of precious stone. It's surrounded by flashing lightning just imagine that the throne of god lightning flash and peals of thunder this is john's description but he's using limited human words he doesn't have enough to tell us paul in in his letter to the church in corinth he wrote we declare god's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that god destined for our glory god destined for our glory before time began and then Paul, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he borrowed the words of the prophet Isaiah. He, he reaches back to the Old Testament, and Paul writes, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. These are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We don't even have a concept of how amazing and awesome heaven is going to be, how glorious. We, we, it's beyond what our capacity is. Now imagine for a moment, imagine for a moment you were sitting with Jesus in this house, in a house, and, and it's a small group. We talk a lot about small groups. Jesus had this small group. Imagine you're in the small group, and the leader is Jesus himself, and he has referenced the trash incinerator outside the city where the smokestack just never stops pumping out the soot. He says, that's, that's one end. It's a possible place for you. And then he, he referenced the kingdom of heaven life eternal and you're going to go to one place or the other there's no in between there's no third place there's no fourth place there's no spectrum there's nothing it's a or b now jesus said and you're 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 looking at him eyeball to eyeball he said make it life and if you want life you might need to do something drastic Chop off your hand, cut off a foot, gouge out an eye. What's causing you to stumble? What's taking you where you shouldn't go? What's leading you astray? We all like sheep go astray. What's causing you to go astray? Deal with it. Deal with it. Now again, imagine you're sitting there and you've just, Jesus just said it to you. How are you gonna deal with that? How are you gonna receive that? What are you gonna say to others? How are you going to share that? Hey, hell's just an experience. You know, we all feel pain. Will you be saying that if you sat with Jesus? Well, God loves everyone. He loves everyone. He's going to make sure everyone joins him in, in eternity. There's no such thing as hell. Will, will you maybe say, well, in the end, yeah, it's, well, there's kind of this incinerator, but it's just going to wipe you out. You're going to be erased. That's what hell is. You know, will you be saying that? Or after hearing Jesus, would you say, 
come from nowhere and we're now here and we're going nowhere. No. Jesus, he described these two places and they weren't experiences, they weren't metaphors, they weren't some allegory. It's not just a parable. He's telling us about two real places. And he stressed three times, not once, not twice, three times, he stresses, deal with what causes you to stumble and deal with it as if it's an emergency so that you can get to the right place. Imagine him saying that. Cut off your hand, cut off your foot, gouge out an eye. Let that sink in. See, Jesus came to this earth with a purpose. He came with, to, to, to the earth with a purpose as the solution for sin, for what causes us to stumble. And he preached, turn from sin, turn from sin, cut it off, repent. There's the word, repent, turn from it, put it behind you, and turn to him. This is what he preached. Receive him as the one who forgives your sin, which is an amazing deal. You, wanna, you think of a deal, a deal of a lifetime? There it is. He forgives your sin, and he sets you right before the judgment seat of God, this seat that this throne of God that John described as being surrounded by lightning with peals of thunder. Uh, that, is, that ought to make us tremble, that awesome throne that John described. Jesus sets you before that. No worries. Your sin's taken care of. To conclude to conclude that hell is some kind of earthly experience or that there is no hell or that God invites everyone into his presence because he's, he's just so loving and he'll deal with it for you. If we, we're just going to be erased and everyone's going to make it to heaven or whatever. Well, what, what does that kind of talk do? It takes what Jesus did, what he came for, the fact that he gave his very life to, to give us the opportunity to be right before God, it just diminishes that. It really makes it meaningless, the sacrifice of Christ to say, well, the things that he said just really, we'll massage them to make them something different, and there is really none of that. Jesus is God who came to earth, born of a woman in a very, very lowly, humble place. He lived as a man. He experienced the pain and the temptation of being a human. He was falsely accused of crimes he did not commit. And yet he yielded his life to his accusers. He was tortured. He was executed. And he presented his life before God Almighty as receiving the just penalty for sin for the whole world. Now, I got a question. Would Jesus do that if there were no hell? Would he do that if, if you rejected God and you were just erased? You know, would Jesus have to suffer and die if we were just going from now here to nowhere? To deny hell is to deny the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It shames the cross. And it makes the death of Jesus a useless thing. And that's just plain wrong. Jesus suffered and died because every single person must deal with the emergency. They must deal with the crisis called sin. And when we encounter others who are steeped in sin, who are lost 
even in places where the, cult, the culture endorses it and says, oh, that's okay. They're living, they're living great lives. Don't pick on them. Don't, don't say that they're sinners. When we encounter others like that, is it then like, oh, yeah, it's okay. You're going from nowhere to now here, whatever. You know, God will love you right in. It's... Or will we respond like Jesus? Who loved? The love of Jesus wasn't to dismiss sin. It wasn't to justify it in some way or the other. Say, well, the culture approves it, so it's okay. No, he didn't offer that. Love speaks the truth. It doesn't scream it. It doesn't rail. It's not foaming at the mouth. But it's direct. We can talk to others and we can get to that point where, hey, that's sin. And then we can express just like Jesus did. Take some drastic action. There's an emergency here. You're on, you're on the course. You're on a trip. You're going on a trip. You want to go on the trip of a lifetime? Well, then it's an emergency and you deal with it now. And I'll tell you about the deal because it is the deal of a lifetime. There is one who gave his life so that you could be right with your creator and you can enter life everlasting. Um, but otherwise, your trip's taking you to this really, really nasty place that's like an incinerator burning dead stuff. We can express the magnitude of the emergency because it's an emergency that needs attending to. If the course to the final destination called heaven has not been secured, there is only one alternative. Now, does that make it a crisis or an emergency in your mind? I think, I think we should see it that way. That there's this crisis that needs to be attended to because heaven is real and hell is real. Now, I trust you've dealt with it. I've trust that you have dealt with the emergency. And if there's anyone in here who hasn't, today's the day. It's truly an emergency. This is the time to press nine. It's an emergency. I'm on a trip. Where's it going? Only you, only you can really truly answer whether or not you've dealt with that emergency. I want to I tell you today, you can, be, you can be encouraged in the Lord. You can inquire of the Lord. Hey, you don't need to believe me. You can say, I'll inquire of the Lord. And start take some time to really dig into his word. Inquire of the Lord. I think he'll give you the victory. I know he'll give you the victory to get to the right destination. But you've got to deal with it. You can find rest in Christ alone. You can discover he is the truth and the way and the life. But you've got to cut off what's, what's leading you astray. And we're going to close with just a song. If there's anyone in here, if you need that, if you've never really welcomed Jesus as the one who has taken care of sin and he'll forgive you, I just, I invite you to do that today. And 
we would love to meet you, pray with you. And there are some here that would, and if, if you would step out of your seat and come forward, someone will welcome you. They're not going to say, hey, it's about time you cut that stuff off. No. No, we're going to praise God like, yes, yes. And I also just want to say this. Sometimes as Christians, that hand we cut off, I don't know, it somewhat seems like it regenerates and it starts doing this again. Got to cut it off again. I don't know if you, need, if you need to just get before God to say, you know, Lord, help me. I do want to inquire of you. I want to be encouraged by you that I can get this done and this place, this stuff that's making me stumble, I can cut it off. I just invite you to do that today as well. And again, we'll pray with you. We'll stand with you. We can, we can inquire God with you and we can invite him to encourage you too. So let's sing. Let's just sing as we close our service. I know Michael and Belinda have a song. Stand to your feet. And, and again, I just invite you to be moved. Be moved by the words of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your visiting us today. God, if there's anyone in this house who hasn't set their eternal destination, God, if they haven't really cut off what causes them to stumble and turn to Christ alone, I just ask and pray, Lord, you'd move upon that heart. Lord, that you would turn that one to you. God, if there's anyone questioning, they don't know for sure. God, I pray they would truly seek you. They would inquire of you. Because I know this, you'll answer. I know with assurance those who seek you and seek you with all their heart, you answer. You'll show them, you'll show them you're true. God, I just pray that. Lord, if there's anyone in this house who has called on you as Lord and Savior, and yet they have been tempted and pulled and perhaps even fallen. God, they need to cut something off. They need to cut something out of their life. Lord, there is so much in this culture that's pervasive and grabs us. There's, there's pornography and sex addiction, and there is, there, there is other addictions and things that draw and pull, and, and, and people hide them. God, Anyone here who's got something, they, they don't want to step out of their seat, but they're looking up to you. God, help them to cut that off. Help them to see it as an emergency and a crisis where they can come into your kingdom. Maybe they feel like they've been maimed or, or crippled because they had to chop that thing out of their life. It might mean chopping a person out of their life. God, help them do it, Father, in the name of Jesus that they could find rest for their soul in Christ alone, in Christ alone. Lord, and thank you, thank you, thank you for the so many that are, that are, that are faithful and, and they continue to look to you as Lord and Savior and they're, they're remaining steadfast though the culture comes against them. Thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness and the steadfastness of your people and help them, God. Encourage them, carry them through today, this week, Bring them back to worship you and praise your name. We love you, Father, and we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen. Amen.